This is Heart to Heart with Hospice Quinty on 91X. Here's Jennifer May Anderson. I'm here today with Anya Dean-Best, who is a partner at O'Flynn Weiss. Her practice involves all aspects of private client work, including estate planning, will and trust planning, and incapacity planning. She advises executors, trustees, and beneficiaries about the administration of estates and trusts and works closely with a number of local financial planners to ensure the client's estate plan is comprehensive and practical and carefully considers family relationships to reduce any potential for conflict. Anya Dean holds a master's degree in tax law. She received her undergraduate degree in industrial relations from McGill University prior to obtaining her LLB from Osgoode Hall Law School. Anya Dean is a regular speaker about estate issues on behalf of local banks, financial planners, and community groups. She is also an active member on a number of local not-for-profit boards and fundraising committees. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I think the big question is, um, we probably all know that we should have a will, but uh, a lot of people are a little bit reluctant um, to maybe take that step, or they don't think about it, or they think I'll do that later. What happens if someone doesn't have a will? So there are two really important things that you accomplish with a will. One is what most people think about, and that's the division of your assets uh, after you pass away. But the other big one that people don't always think about is that you need to have somebody appointed who's allowed to deal with your assets or your affairs. So some people think, I don't have anything or I don't have much. I don't need a will, but there's no automatic entitlement for your parent, for your spouse, for your children to be able to deal with assets that are registered in your name once you've passed away. So if you have a will, you have your executor in place to deal with it. And I've had people come to me um, trying to administer an estate. The estate has maybe, you know, a $600 car. They can't sell it because there's no will. There's nobody that has the authority to sign the transfer. So even if you don't have much, sometimes it can be really important just to have the will so you have the person appointed uh, to deal with everything. If you don't have a will and you need probate, it can be a little bit more complicated to get somebody appointed to deal with your estate. So when there's a will, it's simple. The executor applies. We know who the beneficiaries are. When there's not a will, the province lists the people in order that are allowed to apply to be your executor, but then you have to get consent from all the beneficiaries, and that's not always easy. Uh, Beneficiaries are often spread all over the place. Sometimes you don't even know where they are. They may not want you to be the executor and you have to have the consent of the majority so in big families when there's you know seven children are you going to agree on who gets to act and then anyone who's entitled to apply in priority to you has to sign a renunciation so that can also be an issue so it's not just about who gets your stuff if you don't have a will the government also says in order who gets what but not having your executor appointed can become a really big problem it sounds like uh, lots of things that people might not think about. I, I can certainly see someone saying, eh, I don't have a lot of valuables. Um, people can just sort that out. But what you're saying is that that piece of paper that says who gets to sort it out is really important. So you mentioned probate. So tell me a little bit more about that and why that makes things more complicated. So probate, let me tell you a little bit about probate first. Probate is, it's a court application. 
Just like you can apply to court for a divorce, uh, you can apply for probate. You, there's no legal requirement, it's not a government requirement that you apply for probate, but if you have financial assets, so money in the bank or investments, the bank is not going to let your executor walk in with a copy of the will and their driver's license and write them a check for 200000 out of your life savings. They want the court the Ontario court, to see the will and to approve that it's properly signed and drafted, that the beneficiaries have been notified. So that's part of the process is serving the beneficiaries with notice that they're beneficiaries and nobody objecting to that will or that executor. Probate itself, it's a piece of paper. You get a copy of the will back from the court with the certificate attached, signed and sealed by the court staff. And and that's what you take into the bank. The other reason you need probate is for real estate now in Ontario. So around here, about 15 to 20 years ago, we changed how we um, keep track of property ownership. Under the new system, an executor doesn't have the authority to sign a transfer until they have a probate certificate from the court. So the big issue with probate for most people is that there's a fee associated with it. So a normal court application is $180 or $225. The court application fee for probate is based on the value of your estate. It's just under 1.5% of the total value of your estate right now. The total value of your estate does not include assets that you hold jointly with other people. It does not include assets where you've named beneficiaries like a life insurance policy or an RRSP or a RIF. But anything you hold in your own name, including accounts, real estate, your personal belongings like jewelry, it all has to be appraised and then you have to pay the fee to the province. It, we, we call it the probate fee. The proper term is estate administration tax. Uh, it is a tax because of how it's calculated. And that's what you have to pay to the government to get that piece of paper. So lots of things for people to think about. And that does sound like it might lengthen the process for some people. It can lengthen the process. It's um, There's also lots of planning you can do to get around probate, at least on some of the issues. So For example, like I said, um, naming beneficiaries, making sure you have beneficiaries named on anything that allows you to name a beneficiary. So those are any registered accounts. Again, life insurance, RRSPs and RIFs, tax-free savings accounts. There's a certain investment product called a segregated fund. You can name beneficiaries there. So in that way, the beneficiary just provides the death certificate to the financial institution. The money is paid out, no problem. Joint ownership is another one. So beneficiaries, those are the people who are receiving um, the goods or the money from the estate. From your estate. And then the executor is the person that you've appointed uh, through your will to manage that distribution and manage your estate after your death? That's correct. And one thing a lot of executors don't realize is they have an obligation to the beneficiaries to account to them. That means the beneficiaries can ask the executor 
to prove and show every single penny that went in and out of the estate. That's not the case for a beneficiary who's, you know, receiving the car or receiving a $10,000 gift. But if you're receiving a percentage of the total estate, you're entitled to ask the executor, uh, how was this money managed? Because that affects how much you're left with at the end of the day. One of the things that we um, encourage everyone to do at Hospice Quinty is to plan um, for end of life. Um, so having a will obviously is one of those things. Um, and some people are concerned about getting a power of attorney. So, so what's that and how does that work? So Ontario has two types of power of attorney. Both are documents that are effective only while you're alive. The power of attorney for property allows your attorney, and when I say attorney, I don't mean lawyer, I mean the person you have appointed, which could be a family member or a friend. It allows them to deal with all of your stuff, your bank accounts, your real estate, your personal belongings. Uh, The other power of attorney is a power of attorney for personal care. And that's the person you appoint to make personal care, and medical decisions on your behalf. It doesn't have to be the same person. And that would be, people would be making those decisions if you've come to a point where you can't make those decisions yourself? For a power of attorney for personal care, your attorney can only make decisions if you are incapable of making them or incapable of understanding the consequence uh, of a decision you might make. But a power of attorney for property is actually effective as soon as you sign it. For a lot of people, it's just a convenience thing. So if you travel outside the country quite a bit for months at a time, you're a snowbird, it's not a bad idea to have a power of attorney with somebody appointed at home who could, if you lose your wallet, run to the bank and send you some money out of your account. Uh, It does continue if you become incapable. At that point, You can't ask the person to do something for you. They now have a legal obligation to act in your best interests, making sure you're receiving your income, paying your bills, filing your taxes, everything's taken care of, and that your power of attorney for personal care has enough money to pay for your care. Now, we're in a very much of a do-it-yourself kind of society, and people like to be very independent and uh, do things themselves. Um, Are wills and powers of attorney something people should just... uh, trying to do themselves? I would generally 100% recommend against trying to do a will yourself. I have people who come to me to help with the administration of an estate and somebody has done their own will either from a will kit or in handwriting and it's amazing all the things that can go wrong with those. So um, for, for a single person, we charge $550 for a will. On those cases that I've had where there's an issue with a, with a handwritten or a will kit, it usually costs about $5,000 to go to court to fix the issue. So it doesn't really make sense financially, even though it is a significant cost up front. But there's also, uh, in my introduction, you said I talk about family considerations. That's a big one. Number one, common law spouses aren't entitled to anything from an estate unless you have a will. So we have lots of cases. Even if you're together 35 years, doesn't matter. Your estate automatically goes. Some people are still legally married uh, and have a common law spouse, and that creates uh, all sorts of problems. Um, there's also issues with 
just naming alternates, because if you haven't named an alternate, then you have to go through the same procedure as if you didn't have a will. Uh, if you don't name alternate beneficiaries, what we usually do in a will is say, my child gets this percent of the estate. If they pass away, their children can have that share, just to keep it going uh, through the generations. So yes, yes to having a lawyer do your will. Powers of attorney, the government actually offers some really good resources online, the Ministry of the Etern- uh, Attorney General. So if you Google Ontario powers of attorney, you can get really good information and they do have a form you can fill out that is fine to use, especially if you're in a kind of urgent situation. But generally, again, you want to have the same considerations, uh, the same discussions with, with a lawyer who's probably seen some of the issues. About half of my litigation practice, so my court work, is power of attorney accounting, powers of attorney who have misused the grantor's funds. Sometimes not on purpose, not trying to steal, but attorneys have um, big obligations also, again, to the other people involved, the beneficiaries and the grantor, and the funds get misused a lot. So it's sometimes good to have a conversation with somebody who sees the issues all the time and can advise you so you make the right decisions and make sure you're providing for people you're legally obligated to provide for. I think uh, you bring up a lot of really valid concerns. Um, You, as you said, deal with it every day. That's your work. Whereas individuals will only be doing it probably once uh, in their lifetime. So they might not think of all these considerations. Um, So what would your advice be if someone has decided that they want a will? What would their next step be? The first thing you want to do is get a really good idea for yourself of the type of assets you have. A lot of times, you know, you're, you're young, you start doing your investments, you start your RRSP, you have somebody at the bank helping you do this or that. And at some point, you kind of forget, oh, what kind of accounts do I actually have? And do I have beneficiaries named? And are they updated? So the first step would be to go through everything you have and have a good idea so you can tell the lawyer when you go in to see them uh, what you have, and then that they can help you plan how to deal with them, again, mostly for probate. You also need to think about your family relationships, and not just yours. So um, in Ontario, you have to provide for your spouse. If you are legally married, you have a legal obligation to provide for them. If you don't, and you leave them out of your will, they can make a claim against your estate anyway. So thank you so much. You've given us such a wealth of information today, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come and speak to us. Thank you. Thank you. um, I'm glad to be able to share this information. Learn more about hospice at hospicequinty.ca and listen for Heart to Heart regularly at this time on Alternative Radio 91X.